Hi everybody, Wynn Claybaugh here, and welcome to this great, wonderful, exciting issue of Masters. And I'm I'm telling you this in advance because I know exactly that's what's going to happen because of the beautiful men that I'm sitting here with right now. Uh, my dear friend, Tim Story, who is no stranger to Masters, I've had the honor of interviewing him a few times. And uh, he introduced me to Paul Lambert, who is sitting with me right now. And, you know, there's just those times when it's just magical, when you just hit it off and it's you have no idea why the relationship is coming around. And then all of a sudden things just start happening the relationship starts to serve you and and unfold into beautiful opportunities. And that's exactly what's happened with Paul. And so to be able to have the opportunity to share his story and, and all of his experience with all of you is a pretty exciting thing for me. So first of all, Paul, thank you so much for doing this. What a thrill to be with you and your audience. Thank you for including me. Yeah. Listen, listen to that voice. Have you ever been like a, a voice <laughs> actor or did you a commentator? Did you ever do that either? I would love to. Uh, you know, I love like the nature shows, you know, with the lions. Oh my and God, everything. you'd be perfect love, for that. I would love to do it. And a lot of people have said to me, you ought to get into voiceovers. And I've never really thought about it, but, you know, with animation as big as it is today, who knows? There you go. Like you need something more to do than what you're already oh, doing. Oh, I love it all. I know I can never do enough. I love it all. Good for you. Well, you are in the entertainment industry. And so that the experience that you have, and I love reading your blog and the stories that you tell, I like them because a lot of the stories that you tell are from people who had success a long, long time ago, whether it was in the sports field or entertainment industry, not that they don't have relevance today because they absolutely do, but you dig way back. Well, you know, I think discovering yourself and a lot of these huge talents and personalities, they knew they had potential, but sort of finding out where you belong is a discovery. It's not just a decision. I think some people think, I'm just going to decide to be a star. I have the talent. Here we go. But I think when you talk to the people that have really made it, and you know, I've had really a lot of fun with people like even Betty White, who I think people look as one of the longest you know, running stars there is, and you work with stars yourself all your life. But there's this discovery process that leads to where do I belong? And I think to get to where you belong and to be happy, it starts with who am I? And for me, in my journey, who am I was a hard thing because, again, it's a discovery process. When I was eight years old, I came out of my bedroom wearing a yellow raincoat, and I grew up in Modesto, California. There wasn't a cloud in the sky, and my mother looked at me in my yellow raincoat, and she said, son... I don't think it's going to rain today. And I said, mother, I am a lion. And she said, and so you are. <laughs> so I'm just saying that you discover that I was into pretend. Uh, I loved, you know, watching the Tony Awards when I was a child and all that sort of stuff. So I've ended up discovering following breadcrumbs that I think have led to a bakery. And uh, I've never been happier and I think one of the keys to happiness is finding out who you are and where you belong. Well, you not only have your own stories to tell, but you love, love telling the stories of other people. Absolutely. And like I said, you you dig deep 
in those stories because some of the people that you have worked with, you mentioned Betty White. My gosh, I love I've, Shirley I've never, Jones. I've never been yeah. starstruck with anybody except for Betty White. Really? Oh my gosh! Yes. Did you watch her on Password of way back I then did. with Alan? Of Lund, course I did. You know, I the Mary Tyler Moore show. The day I met her was like they're all patting her down with makeup and everything, and I'm <laughs> like, I'm the one over here sweating right now. I'm the one who needs all the work. But. Well, I'll tell you a little Betty White story. Uh, we were doing a commercial together one time, and her William Morris agent said to me, "Now Betty needs three hours for hair and makeup." I said, okay, we're going to start shooting at around 9 or 9.30. So that means she has to get there around 6 or 6.30. And uh, he said, no problem. So we had the car pick her up and everything else. I got there about 8 o'clock. And um, the person, the stage manager at the door said, I think you better go see Miss White. I said, is there a problem? He said, she's really upset. And (laughs) she said, I walked in the door and she said, Whose idea was it to get me here at 6 a.m. in the morning? Oh, my gosh. And I just froze. And then I realized a big lesson for me in this a long time ago. Don't ask a big star to be there at 6 a.m. if you're not going to get up and be there at 6 a.m. too. That's the lesson. She was mad that she was just there alone with a hair person and I wasn't there with her. You know, good lesson. Oh, I have so many lessons. I mean, Aretha Franklin and I, I went or she called me and said, I want to do a Vegas show. Will you come meet with me in Detroit? I've heard so many good things about you. The boys at Holland, Dozier Holland and Motown, they all love working with you. Smokey Robinson likes you and his wife likes you. Now that's, that's an issue. The wives and the girlfriends, if they like you. So I went to see Aretha in Detroit and I got off and, and I walked into the hotel and I said, is Miss Franklin here? He says, yes, you must be Mr. Lambert. I said, well, yes, I am, as a matter of fact. And they said, well, she's in the ballroom. Uh, over there by herself. I walked into the ballroom. She was at the front of the ballroom with no lights on, big table, eating the biggest hamburger I'd ever seen in my life. And I was sitting there going, I'm hungry too. But she wasn't about to feed me. And I realized, you know, you're in the presence of royalty. And I was a little nervous. It was my first time to meet her face to face. And she was wearing these pink feathers with uh, jeans and sparkly silver shoes. And I said, well, hello. And she said, hi, Paul. And I said, I love your pink. Uh, Can I call you Miss Flamingo? And if you could have seen the stare on her face. And she said, no, you may call me Miss Franklin. So I want you to know there have been many faux pas that I learned (laughs) over the years, but I'm much better now. I'm much better now. I really am. You can call me Miss Flamingo if that (laughs) Makes you feel comfortable. <laughs> you know, and see, I love these stories. We get to sit here. You have lots of wisdom, but I, I love hearing these stories because not that I don't feature brand new people who have entered the beauty industry or the entertainment industry or any industry. And I do. And I love what they have to say. But what do they say? You, you can't Google wisdom. You can Google facts. And so people think that they can learn because they watched a YouTube video about it or they Googled the, the facts about whatever it is that they're trying to learn or discover, but you can't Google wisdom. And so when you can sit with somebody who has story after story to tell, again, their own stories and the stories of other people, I think you said it's, it's, about, it's about our heritage. Well, you we, know, we have to know where we came from. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think, too, in your universe, you're creating a lot of superstars. People listening to this broadcast, this podcast, 
are on their way. They're on a journey that they don't even know how big it's going to get. That's why I'm a big fan of Tim's story, too. Tim teaches us how to think big. And those of you that are listening, that have potential, that have talent, or one decision, one conversation away from something really big. And I like to follow someone like Lady Gaga. When she hit it, she kind of reminds me of Madonna a little bit in that they're they're not Barbara Streisand. They're not Whitney Houston. They're solid talent that made the most out of their potential. But when Lady Gaga hit, she just couldn't handle the size of that orbit. And uh, she got overwhelmed. Uh, She couldn't sleep at night. And she was really having trouble with headaches. And so she had to take some time off from that superstar career of hers and just kind of revisit who am I in all of this orbit. And so she came out with another album, took some time off, and then started just doing jazz, you know, and something completely different. But she came out with her new album, Born This Way. And her her thought to all of us was, be yourself and be proud of who you are. And, you know, Brene Brown, I think, has an absolute fantastic quote where she says, let go of who you think you're supposed to be and grab on to who you really are. And the frightening thing is, as those of us that go through life, and I owned an ad agency in New York before getting into entertainment, so I've I've been dealing with a results-oriented sort of life. I mean, if my commercials that I created, I've done over 600 commercials. If they didn't sell, I didn't eat Mm. (laughs) at night. So getting results is really important. And I think if there was a key that I've learned in bouncing back, rebooting, or whatever we all have to do, on a regular basis. I I just love what Brene Brown said here. She says, there's no greater threat to your critics and cynics out there than those of us who are willing to fail because we know how to rise. Mm. And boy, I'll tell you, you've been building your universe for a long time and you've, I'm sure, had to rise and rise and rise. And some days catastrophes happen. I have a nephew 30 years old, who took his life four weeks ago. I'm so sorry. He just couldn't deal with his addiction of many years ago. Uh, my brother and I thought he had been sober for like 15 years. We weren't aware that he was using again. He has a son and he's divorced 10 years. And my brother called me and said, Paul, I've got some bad news. Well, I thought maybe his wife or maybe we're at the age where things happen to us. And he said, Woody died last night. I've never been so surprised in my life. And for the last four weeks, our family's been dealing with a surprise that we hadn't counted on. And whether it's professional or personal, you have to work through these things. And for me, and for those of you that are going through issues that are surprises like this, surround yourself with people that love you. Be where you're needed, loved, and wanted, and work through it because all of us experience this. And there are none of us that don't hit rock bottom, none of us that don't get our reputations hurt. But you know something? I get up every single day, like today, 
And I was so excited to get here and, and talk with you, Wynn, and share my experiences with others. Because I think as you find out and discover your potential, and then you find sort of a zip code where that potential can be used and effective, you start gaining confidence. And when you gain confidence, your confidence leads to courage. And I think when that courage and confidence gets going, it's contagious. And if you're around other people that are like you and have found their potential, I think that's the key to happiness. We have a good friend named Sean Aker. And um, Sean is someone I met in the green room of Oprah (laughs) with Mm. Tim Story, as a matter of fact. And I just love to listen to Sean talk. And Sean is... Who, who uh, doesn't he? Doesn't he have like 17 million views yeah, Sean, of his yeah, TED Talk? Yeah. Sean is Mr. Happy. Right. I mean, he talks about the positive aspects and how you're more productive when you're happy. And he goes, on and on and on like a happy expert. Then I started reading about Sean. Sean was probably the most unhappy person mm-hmm. on this earth. Mm-hmm. And it was his time at Harvard as a student when he was in depression and he was paralyzed because he was so discouraged and unhappy. So he started studying happiness as a research artist. And Sean learned that happiness is part of training your brain and getting up every day and doing certain, one of the tips he gave me, for instance, and he gives everybody, but let's say that I grabbed onto. Every day when you get up, Send two emails to someone that is no longer than two or three sentences just to let them know you're thinking of them. Yeah. And that has brought me so much happiness. Remember that? That's a note on my computer. Is it? I have a little, a little <laughs> note on my computer, on the screen of my computer that reminds me every single day to send out those little gratitude emails. And that's how I start my day at 4.30 in the morning. I'm, I haven't even really sipped any coffee yet, but that's... Isn't and that it because fun? of a good habit that I learned? You know, That's people right. People think that you're, you're either happy or not happy. And, and if you're not happy, there's nothing you can do about it. But it's a skill set. Right. It's, it's like saying, well, you either can play the piano or you can't play the piano. You were born that way. And if you can't play the piano, there's nothing you can do about it. No, I can take lessons. I, I can learn from experts. I can find mentors. I can practice, 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 practice. Well, the same thing applies to happiness. You know, you, you have a lot of topics happening here, and I want to take you back to a, a couple of them. Sure. I, again, this whole idea that we do fall down. You know, what's that Chinese proverb, fall seven times, stand up eight? I, I love that one. You mentioned Lady Gaga and, and her needing to take a break, and I can't imagine what that's like in the spotlight right. to, to, to have to go through that. But talking to just regular people who aren't in that spotlight, whether they're 20 years old or 70 years old, I'm having the same conversations. It's not just that 20-year-olds are are, are struggling with confidence and 20-year-olds are falling down and trying to figure out how to reinvent themselves and to start all over again or to figure out really who they are. I mean, 70-year-olds are having the same conversation. you have confidence, even when you've got the world at your feet, I'm going to give you two examples here. Tom Hanks has made a lot of movies. And if you talk to Tom Hanks, who's probably one of the most delightful personalities in Hollywood, they'll say, you know, I've made 20 movies and five of them are good. (laughs) And he's really revealing that you just got to get up every day and do it. And I think Michael Jordan, one of the greatest NBA players of all time, 
Michael says, you know, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career, and I've lost over 300 games as a professional. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed, and I've failed over and over and over again, and that's why I'm successful. Isn't that amazing? And then Oprah, I love one of Oprah's greatest quotes. She says, over time, you learn how to turn your wounds into wisdom. That's brilliant. You know, what, what did they say? Uh, uh, isn't it a fact that Walt Disney got fired by a, a newspaper executive for not being creative enough? And I think he went bankrupt or, right. or you know, a couple of times. I mean, I mean, people that are out there, and, and I'm not recommending take risks that are foolish, but when you think big, and you step out into deep waters like all of us have, you're going to find that there are certain keys. And when, when I've been to your conventions and heard you speak, I mean, it's really important that you affiliate with other people who have the same sort of set of values and dreams. You're not afraid to teach people to dream. Mm -hmm. But in your case, you're not only teaching them to dream, you're teaching them to help others. And what I'm so impressed with is the charity work and the people from the charities who I've had the chance to hear speak at your conventions who are so appreciative because it matters. And I think this is something that I'm getting more and more into. And and actually, Tim Story has asked me to. I've been in branding for a long time. I, I was part of the early stages of ESPN and MTV and all of that. And then Martha Stewart came in the scene and Vidal Sassoon, and these brands became personalities. And today, with the internet and social media, you can become a brand. And young people are becoming their own universe. So if you can have impact and you have something to share with others, create a brand around yourself. Be committed to this. And Tim has asked me to start coaching, counseling, people that really have something to say. A lot of people have written a book and they they just don't know all of the steps to branding, you know. But in this day and age, if you have something to say and you have something to be helpful to others with, brand yourself, use social media and start building that audience around you. Uh, Tim now, I think, has six, seven hundred thousand. Uh, you pointed out Sean has 17 million And um, I have some other examples. I mean, let me, I wrote this down. Um, There was, you know, the earth and global warming is becoming a bigger and bigger issue. And little Dickie, do you know little Dickie? Because I don't, I have to tell you, I don't know little Dickie, okay? Others of you would know probably little Dickie. But little Dickie came out with a, a new video. It came out April the 19th. And it's his view of why we should care about the Earth. Oh, the, the Earth video. That's right. Well, That's I, right. I, obviously, I've watched it. Two as billion. Have two, yeah, two billion people have been. Since April the 19th. It's incredible. So, I mean, the we need to participate with each other, build brands, because now you have the chance to get your message, to get what you've learned into the minds and universes of other people. Well, you mentioned the idea of dreaming big and and now we're relating it to building your brand. And I have some questions about that, but I truly believe that a person's individual dreams cannot be separated from 
the idea of also giving back and helping others. I just don't believe that it's possible to build your own brand, to build your own following, to to get all of your own followers on social media without at the same time helping others. So having some component that absolutely is giving back. And by the way, giving back is not you attend one black tie fundraising cocktail party. <laughs> you know, they it, this is like a ongoing part of the process that we do of what we do every single day. Well, my little church that I go to in Marin County up in Northern California um, has a terrific pastor and I travel a lot. And she said, well, you know, Paul, why don't we start something new? Why don't you write from wherever you are a little blog and I'm going to put in our newsletter. At is, the that, is that the one that you send to me? Is that where that one comes from? Well, that's from? how it all started. Okay, I was got it. just because I was away. I started committing just kind of like, here's Paul whether I was in New York or LA or Florida or wherever. And here's what's on my mind. That's how it all started like three right. years ago. And all of a sudden I caught fire of what you're just saying. I started saying, you know, I have something that other people might learn from. I can give back from my experiences. A lot of people see a person like me who, you know, has done a lot and, and maybe doesn't think that I get sad because I'm very positive or that I, my reputation hasn't taken a, a blast from someone that's trying to bait me. I mean, that's a phrase I've used in some blogs. What to do when you know someone's got... Which we're going to talk about. Okay, someone's got bad intentions. And, and there's a lot of insecure people out there that, you know, I try to stay away from as many negative people as possible. But on the other hand... I think those of us that have a kind of a command of certain things need to be around the negative people. In other words, there's all this argument over whether your children should be in private schools to keep them away from the public, you know. And I think sometimes being in the public schools, we have to shine our light where there's darkness. Mm -hmm. So I take it as kind of a personal challenge to sometimes be around bullies, liars, and negative people, because I think when they're around me, hopefully I can have some impact, and, and we shouldn't be afraid of those arenas. Well, that obviously was not easy for you in the beginning. I mean, at this stage of your life, absolutely, perhaps you can take that on, or you are taking that on. You're right. In the early stages, I was very competitive and very combative. I think a lot of people who listen to this maybe are a little new uh, to this. Sometimes I feel new to that whole concept of uh, being able to take on the, the bullies and the negative people. Well, my, especially my message with, is always, please divorce yourself to stay as far away from them as possible. But in social media today, the people that go on are usually the, the extremes and they're going to blast away on that social media because they don't have to defend themselves. They can just go out there. I'll, I'll give you an example as a producer of big musicals. You work so hard, sometimes years on a musical. You raise, uh, my last musical, I raised about $12, $13 million. Now, that's a lot of people believing you and writing checks. And then on opening night, you have 2,600 people in the stands and in the crowds, and everybody's so pleased, and the curtain comes down. And one of the critics just blast you or didn't like this or didn't like that. And you say to yourself, I get up at three in the morning, of course, I read every review that comes out. And on the Internet are, you know, 40 reviews of people that said it was the greatest night out. I had fun. I love this. And you should go see it. I'm telling everybody. And then here's this person that 
Now, that's hard to swallow because he can impact and influence the destiny of a show. And dealing with your cast the next day, all that kind of stuff. You know, I've been through it all. And sometimes there's motives and agendas that have nothing to do with the show. Right. And have nothing to do with me. And so I think for young people and and people that are just entering this world of what happens when you get criticized, what happens when someone mischievously talks behind your back and gossip starts. First of all, I, I, I think you have to say, well, what is that person going through? What is going on in that person's life right now? And really remember, they don't define you. You and your actions define yourself. And I get to choose who Paul Lambert is. And one of the reasons I've enjoyed doing blogs now and I enjoy a little more exposure because I've spent all my life marketing other people. I've spent all my life developing shows that other people star in. But now I'm more comfortable in sharing some of these very difficult things that I've had to endure and not panic. I think that's the word. I think, you know, we were doing a big show. The theater was full. I got a call at 745 from the pit with the orchestra. And he said, Paul, Paul, we got to find Paul. And he said, well, he's in the sound booth. Get him there. So I got on the phone and I said, what's the problem? And the conductor said, the snare drum isn't working. And I said, what's your point? And he laughed and he said, oh, what should we do? And I said, I will have a new snare drum here by intermission. But you tell everybody in the back, they're not going to have a snare drum today. Now, that happens to be a very important part of an orchestra, the drum. But just get over it, you know. And by me staying calm and steady, I calmed him down. Mm. So I think steadiness and some of the people I admire the most are those that know how to stay steady at that crisis moment. You're steady. I've seen you win. You produce these magnificent shows and conventions that I've been with. And I'm I'm going to tell you why I admire this so much. I've been to the NAACP Awards, you know, the Tony Awards. They are a madhouse of confusion. These last-minute shows with celebrities that are donating their time and everything, they're extremely difficult to do. I've never seen you flappable. Your shows come off no matter what. And that's the sign of someone that is experienced because people are going to respond to your calmness. So when you get blasted to those of you that are listening, or you have an email that's really cruel, my first recommendation is take a step back, take a deep breath and stay steady because something's going on that probably 90% of the time isn't you. It's something else. They're using you to react to something that's bothering them, you know, and that's I, hard to deal with. I mean, you, oh, you, you say you have of course, 40 people who loved your show, and but you're focused on that one critic. Absolutely. It tore me up. I mean, right. it just tore me up. It really did. And and I wanted to go visit with him. And I'm not afraid to show up either. I said, and, what was it did you, you didn't like? Did you? No, no because okay. that's professionally kind of inappropriate. Right. Okay. Um, and, and there was Wait, how some, long ago was this? Four or five years ago in Chicago. Okay. So would you still react the same way today? Would you still be upset over that? Yeah, I think so, because I care so much. I, 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 well, the most important thing is try to understand what he's really saying and see if there's any merit to it, you know.
So, so maybe it's the difference between reacting and responding. Yeah, I think that's right. No, it no, still brings right it up in you. You're still a human being. Of it's course. still going to hurt, still going to sting. Yeah, of course. But you will respond differently. Well, especially if you're in a leadership position, like if you own a salon, let's say, if you're the person in charge of a salon, you are setting the tenor for that whole room, uh, the personality of that room. And when I hear you guys talk about, and I think about, you know, when I go in to get my little hair done, what little hair I have, but I still enjoy going. It's an environment. It's an atmosphere. Someone is putting their hands on my body. There is a camaraderie that doesn't exist when I go to Starbucks or, I mean, someone is touching me, you know? Right, right. And, and so there's really needs to be a comfortable atmosphere, a fun atmosphere and an artistic atmosphere in your case. And I think leaders are really responsible for setting the tone, even if you've had a bad day. And, and I'm going to get back to Sean Aker for a minute. And if you haven't read Sean's books and things, I really recommend you do it because... The Happiness Advantage was the first one that I read and just unbelievable. And, you know, his second one was about learning not how to make yourself happy. The second one was be a part of making other people happy. And when you make other people happy, which gets to your gratitude in the morning, you're making someone else happy. They just got an email from Wynn mm-hmm. Claybaugh, and it says, I'm thinking of you. Uh, what are some of the things you would say to a person in that two or three sentence? I don't want to just say I'm thinking about you because okay. I, I can say that to a thousand people, the same thing. I try to make it personal to them, meaning whatever I'm saying is not a cut and paste text that I could send to a whole bunch of people. Right. It's something specific to them. So I'll reminisce about a vacation that we took together or a conversation that we had uh, in a struggling time for me that really, really helped me. Hey, just remember two years ago when I was struggling about this, you told me this Mm -hmm. and I just was thinking about you today. So it's something that was more personalized and, and I'm sure this happens to you because it happens to me. Probably 99% of the time when I do that, the response that I get back is, I needed that today. Oh, yeah. It's not by accident. Oh. So it's not like I'm making a list. Well, right, right, Tuesday, right. I'm going to text this person. Wednesday, I'm going to call this person. Thursday, uh-uh. In that moment, when I'm saying, oh, I need to send out my two gratitude emails, my two gratitude text messages, depending on the hour that I'm doing it, whatever the name is that pops into my head, that's the person that I'm going to reach out to and always... of the time, they respond back and say, wow, I needed this today. And doesn't that make you happy? Of course. I mean, it makes me happy. Just makes you realize that I'm just part of a big, big picture here, whatever you want to call it. And I just need to follow my heart. I just need to trust my instincts and do exactly what I'm feeling. Well, you know, for me, I think one of the most exciting parts of my career in my life now is being forced to perform under pressure. And there are a lot of moving parts to a big musical. There are a lot of moving parts to a television pilot. Not so much once you get television cooking and rolling. But pressure is something uh, that if I could share a few thoughts about, it might be helpful. I was watching one day uh, Venus Williams, the great tennis star, being interviewed. And they said, how does it feel to be getting older? (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) And facing all the young gals who are knocking the living daylights out of that tennis ball. And um, at your age, I think she was 37 at the time. 
you're in the semifinals of the U.S. Open. So how does it feel? Are you under a lot of pressure? And she looked at him and says, well, you know, I'm going to refer to someone even older than me that you might like to hear from. Her name was Billie Jean King. And Billie Jean King said, pressure is a privilege because it gives us the chance to be our best when it matters the most. And I took piano as a youngster and I had these little piano recitals. Everybody else was a nervous wreck going to the piano's recital. I couldn't wait because I knew during that moment when I was playing my little piece that I was going to have adrenaline, I was going to have excitement, and I was going to have an audience. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't appear any other time than in that piano recital. Now, this is when I was really young. I got used to pressure and I started enjoying pressure. So I'm going to read this one more time because I really think it's a good thought. And that is pressure is a privilege because it gives us the chance to be our best when it matters the most. And I today know that there's a lot of pressure parts of show business for a lot of people, but there's a lot of pressure parts in families mm -hmm. and in our day-to-day -day relationships. Can I ask you a little bit about the pressure thing? Sure. Because you're not recommending that people just wing it. Obviously, going into that piano recital, you practice, rehearse, practice, practice, practice. Oh, I'm ready. You're absolutely right. Yeah, Selena Williams is not just showing up the day of without right. having right. worked out and rehearsed and practiced and whatever else she has to go through. Um, I think more of what I'm talking about is don't fear pressure. Okay. Be ready and know it's exciting. And there's a dynamic that that moment gives you that can't be created in the practice room. It can't be created on the practice court. It can't be created in the rehearsal hall. Opening night is full of people and that's exciting and that's pressure. Mm -hmm. I remember one week before opening night of a big musical, we were still in previews and in previews, you only get a couple of weeks usually because the uh, theater has reduced ticket sales uh, the prices for previews. So they don't want to give you a lot of previews, but a show needs previews in order to make sure the sets work and everything's working and everybody's got their cues right and the lighting's right. You're standing in the right place at the right time. So the light hits you. One of our gals who had been rehearsing, one of the leads came down with laryngitis and it just hit her on a Thursday. And by Saturday, which had two shows, she just couldn't, do it. Now, I was under more pressure at that moment than I think I've ever experienced. And the understudy, I wasn't quite clear whether the understudy was ready. And um, she came out. And you want to know something? She didn't miss a single line. The only thing that happened was she got hit in the face by one of the sets because she didn't know the set changes. And from that moment on, one of the other actors took her by the hand and walked her through her exits because that was it. She did, didn't know the scene changes. But that taught me something, and that is count on other people to be prepared and ready. Expect that of other people. And if you're a, a person that is supporting others, be ready at all times 
because we're one combination of moving parts together. See, I, lo- I love that message because I think nowadays everybody wants the spotlight. Everybody wants the, whether that's to be literally famous or it's to make more money or to get the promotion. People want the spotlight. I, w- I want it to focus on me where people pay attention to me and give me the raise and, and give me the opportunity. And I sometimes believe that a lot of people, if they got the spotlight today, they'd make a total fool of themselves. Absolutely. Because they're, they're not ready. Absolutely. They, they haven't done the work. There's an award in the beauty industry called the uh, North American Hairdressing Award, NAHA. And so they, they choose master hairdresser of the year and all kinds of different categories. And Ruth Roach, this amazing friend and, and uh, icon now in the beauty industry, told me that when she's won this award several times. And she told me that her first photo shoot, because the, the competition is based on photos, based on hair and beautiful makeup and everything else. And she told me that her first photo shoot was in the back of a Chinese restaurant in <laughs> Santa Barbara, California. <laughs> and I said, Ruth, can I see those photos? She said, no, you can't. Uh, you know, yeah, everybody right. assumes that right, her right. first photo shoot right, was right, right. worth a, a Naha award. Right. Right. And no, no, no there were hundreds, if not thousands Absolutely. before that, before she ever said, okay, judge me based on this one. Well, you know, I, I work a lot with music people and, my greatest joy has been working with Holland Dozier Holland of Motown. Now they have written probably three or 400 songs and they have probably 15 or 20 number one hits. So they're known for these 15 or 20. And yet I'm here to tell you, I've heard 300 others that are not hits. And there's a certain magic about your point when a celebrity hits, when a star is a star. And you've got to be very sensitive to discovering, one, whether you have the magic, and two, if people are connecting with it, because that's the ultimate decision maker uh, for you commercially, is if you're connecting with others. And when, I think what your role is now, one of your roles, which I enjoy watching, is you're influencing so many others that are influencing others. Mm. Now, that means you aren't influencing this person way out here. That person's been influenced by someone who was influenced by you that's influenced by someone. Mm -hmm. I mean, so look at your world of influence. And I think if we look at ourselves as being a part of not just the race of life, but the human race, then we have a chance to be influencers and parents influence Uncles and aunts influence, cousins influence, and, you know, your blood, your family is really counting on you, especially if you've been able, through Paul Mitchell or someone else, to find an environment where you can be loved, needed, wanted, and therefore you develop your confidence. You talk about people that are unhappy in their nine to five jobs because they're not spending time in their lane or in their zip code in their passion. Right. 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 Oh, there's so many unhappy, but you also talked about branding. And so can you kind of tie the two together? Because obviously they can't be. Well, I think, I think how I learned this the most is when ESPN first started, they said, Paul, try some fun things. You know, we don't know who we are. We we don't know what's going to happen here, but let's try it out. So, so I did a commercial with a, quarterback from the Chicago Bears. His name was Bobby Douglas. And I wrote this commercial that said, basically, you know, you like sports. I like sports. And if you're not happy doing what you're doing from nine to five, 
why don't you call us and, and let's see if maybe you could be a franchise dealer for a sports shack. So you could be in sports all the time. I think we got like 80,000 responses. Okay. I mean, it was people that wanted to be in sports, you know, and I wanted to have my life doing what I love. Now, in my case, I learned advertising and marketing in a New York advertising agency in New York that I was president of. And then my love and my passion was musicals. And I think today, for those of you that are finding your passion that are committed to wanting to be successful and bigger than just an ordinary nine to five feeling, you've got to market and package your passion. That's number one. And then you've got to learn how to commercialize or monetize your passion. And I think that's where the branding comes in. And when people contact me now and say, Paul, will you help me? Here's who I am, here's what I'm doing. Are there steps one, two, three, four that lead to monetization? Making money. Of my passion. And the answer is yes. And that is a new field that I think, you know, look at Amazon, what they've started. There's a whole group of people, younger people, that are comfortable ordering whatever they want to order on their cell phone. Jeff Katzenberg, who is the great entertainment executive, has just announced he has $600 million, he's forming a cell phone network for entertainment. And it's only for cell phones. And, you know, it's going to be huge because people are used to ordering and spending money using their cell phone. And you and I, if you have a book, if you have a thought, if you have a product, if you have a service, we can now help brand you what your values are, what you stand for. Because I still think people like to buy from people, whether it used to be a retailer, Sears, or Target, or whoever we bought from, iMagnum or Saks Fifth Avenue, it didn't matter. But the brand did matter. You knew if I bought that shirt from this place, there was a brand that sort of embraced it and circled it as well. So if you can create yourself, what you stand for, and what you're pitching as a brand. For instance, the Earth video. I mean, he cares about the Earth. He cares about the environment. And he went out, a uh, little dicky, and got other superstars to get involved with him who also care about the Earth. And they came out with the cutest video that connects with others and says, join what I care about. And you can do that, too. But I think a lot of people that think, oh, yeah, yeah, I agree with Paul. Oh, yeah, yeah, But then you go out and do it, and you're treading water. You're in quicksand. You're really not building an audience. You're really not understanding. How does Google work? How do I get to the top of that page? And there are definite ways that get you to the top okay, of the am page. Okay, am I able to ask you then? Because you just said, yes, there are steps to do that. Can you share with us what some of these steps are and by the way you're talking about that branding my my seven-year-old daughter there you go is doing exactly what you're talking about doing she's very passionate about homelessness she's very passionate about environment stuff i mean yesterday she was in the office working on little signs that she wanted me to make many many copies of and you know can i uh, the funny one was, can I go hang this? Can I go tape this to that pole that Daddy George ran into? Because he 
wasn't looking and ran right at his head oh, really? on the pole. Can I go tape? Which I thought that was kind of funny. But can I go tape this sign, which was about right. uh, not using Q-tips and plastics and saving the whales. Right, and right, she, had, right. she had a picture of a little wow. seahorse wrapped around a Q-tip. I love you know, this is where they end up, plastic right. Q-tips. And so we should, anyway. Right. But she was like, it wasn't just her own little thought. She's like, I need to get this idea out. Well, see, I'm they, passionate they, about this. This I believe in this. I need to get the word out. All right. That's the easy part. Okay. Meaning the easy part is I have a passion. Okay. The easy part is I can define my passion and it matters. Okay. That's over here in another segment. Now, right. what do I do with my passion? It starts, I'm going to give it just the basics. And then what I do with people, we personalize and customize these steps into what you're really thinking about and who you need to reach. This is marketing 101. It's just that it's moved into social media now as it should. First of all, who do I want to reach? Who would be interested in what I have to say? You've got to be able to define that. And a lot of people think, I'll just throw it out there and they'll come. No, you need to say, how old are they? What gender are they? What do they care about? How do they get their information? Go through all of these steps to identify who those people are that are going to be attached to what you have to say, your passion. I loved Oprah when she used to say, I built my universe one viewer at a time. Mm. And I believe that, you know. So you have to care about each one of these people that might be interested. Now, there are two schools of thought. You know, they say if you build it, they will come. And sometimes that is true. But I'm more of a, a marketing scientist. So you start with, who is it that would be interested in what I have to say? And when you start looking at those demographics, psychographics, and everything that goes with that, try to determine who would be most interested in what I have to say. I'll give you an example. I'm doing a, a musical on robots. So I had to start with... A musical on robots. Yes. Okay. I mean, but the music was really about, should man be afraid of the future of artificial intelligence and robots. That's the premise. But then we have a robot story. So now before I dove into this with a sci-fi writer and all of that, I sat down and said, is there a big enough audience that's interested in the fear of what robots, robotics, artificial intelligence could bring to the table in the future? And you bet there's a fear. And there's a lot of other reasons that that show I think is going to work. But my point is, I went out and thought about who would be interested in this. So that's step one. Who would be interested in what it is you're passionate about? Number two, what is the best way for me to communicate it? You've got to sit down. How do I fine tune my message? Not only who's going to listen, but what is it and how do I convey it? And there's a lot of ways today you can convey it, whether it's in vignettes, whether it's in video, whether it's in blogs. One of the biggest ways and the smartest things I'd like to share with your audience is find someone else who has a big audience hmm. and try to get on with them. Right. Try to talk about it with them and then try to write people. I get up every day when I'm on a subject. I say, who might I write that might be interested in hearing from Paul about this subject? And I just go out there and you would be surprised. I'm going to give you an example. I did this just two weeks ago. I saw a little children's musical called, I think it was called Honk. I don't remember right now, but I think because I don't have my notes. In front, I think it was called 
honk. I absolutely loved it. Wait, where'd you see this? Up in a little elementary school in Marin County. Okay, okay? no, that's what right. I do on my Saturdays. Okay. I go see children's musicals. Loved it. It's the ugly duckling, you know, it was a little nest of animals, and one of them was born out of an egg that wasn't like the rest, you know, the story. Right, right. But the music was out of this world. I loved it. And one of the songs was about, I'm different. So I thought this musical was conveying the most beautiful music, lyrics. And so I said, I, I hugged the gal that did this little show and I said, I'm going to run. You know, I said, do you know who wrote the music? She says, well, here's his name. So I ran and looked him up. He's from London. Honk won the Olivier Award many years ago, which is the same as our Tony Award. And do you know what show it beat? Lion King. I am now blown away. So I get on the internet and I write the composer. And guess what? He wrote me right back. And he's doing two shows in America right now. And we're going to beat because I took the initiative. Mm. So my point in all of this is you have the same internet that I do. You have the same skills I do. So first, in this social media world, try to really understand your audience and who it is you're reaching. Two, try to perfect your message so you know exactly what you're saying and why. And then third, reach out to others with big audiences because you can be a big fish in a little pond, but let's go be a big fish in a big pond by jumping on another big fish, you know. Now, I could go on and on and on and in, in my coaching with people on this. We lead them how to go from zero to 10,000 to 50,000 to, to more with whatever it is they're pitching, you know, and there's a right way and then a way. Because Google has all these things that they check on. It's, it's how you phrase it, how you do this, how many times you use this, SEO, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I have experts around me at every one of those specialty things. One of the companies that I work with has 14 different divisions for every brand, every subject. Instagram has its own group. Twitter has its own group. And there's a right way and a wrong way to use every single one of those, Facebook, YouTube. And we have these groups of specialists, and they're all like 25 years old that are at work for this company. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you can do it and take it one step at a time. And then when you start growing... You start selling, and then you've got money and capital. What are branding mistakes that people are making? I think the biggest is just putting out what you think works instead of what your audience is connecting with. And I think even... me not not being authentic or... Oh, no, authentic. In this day and age, authentic is absolutely... You're right. Authentic is absolutely... Uh, real. But having been around the block a couple of times, and most people say, Paul, you haven't been around the block. You are the block. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I would say you have to experiment a little bit. And then you see what takes off. You know, um, when you speak, I'm sure that you use phrases. And then all of a sudden, you get a feeling whenever I say that the audience connects with it. So you use it again and again and again. So I think, uh, you know, there are those of us that maybe can help you anticipate what an audience will connect Mm -hmm. with. 
But whether it's a Broadway show or a brand, the key is what is the audience connecting with and, and what is changing lives, what is mattering and what is selling. You know, I remember the group that do you remember the commercial? Where's the beef? Um, is a famous hamburger commercial, but a lot of your audience is younger and and they may not even remember there was... Oh, I I think it's still referenced today. Okay, okay. It was that huge. All right, this was a group that I was very familiar with doing this commercial. And they wrote this commercial and they just had a line in there at the end and then where's the beef? And we'll have this little old lady that we'll try to find and cast and that'll be how we end it. And it's just one of the many commercials that they had in, in line. And then they found this gal named Clara Peller. That was the old lady's ads? Okay. Yes. And she said, where's the beef? Right. I, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't hit the table. But she <laughs> did it in a way that connected with right. an audience. And it built the whole brand for huge. Burger King. Right. So sometimes you get there by accident through discovery. But again, my biggest answer to your question is, What is connecting with the audience Mm. when you're selling a new shampoo, when you're selling a new product, how do you position it? And what do you say about it? Not just what chemicals did I, I'll give you another example. Um, Rolls Royce was trying to think of how do we convey what our brand represents? And one of the copywriters in, in the ad agency of David Ogilvie was reading their manual. Oh, do I hate to read product manuals. But sometimes when you read a product manual, you'll find a little gem. And he found that in the dashboard of a Rolls Royce was a clock. And it was so quiet. And he translated, transcended just that thought into the loudest noise you'll ever hear when driving a Rolls Royce is the clicking of the clock in the dashboard. And that just said, it runs smooth, this brand is beautiful, and it's luxurious, and the only thing you're going to hear it's so quiet is the ticking of the clock. And he found that in the product manual, you know. So I wish there was a simple answer to what you asked, but I think we have to go back and forth with whatever it is your brand is, whatever it is you're trying to sell. And we really, we throw it around uh, among ourselves and we figure it out. I like lots of things you're saying right now. I just listened to a podcast uh, with Kevin Hart. Oh, he's the best. He's well, so he was funny. talking about the process that he goes through. You, you, you say in development. The process that he goes through, I think maybe people assume that he just stands up there and, <laughs> and, and ad-libs a one-hour a routine and that becomes a Netflix special and, and a movie deal and everything else. And he talked about just the two year process that he goes through to then end up with the one hour gig that he's then going to make millions off of, uh, of just going to little tiny comedy stores and then rewriting it and reworking it. And the reaction from the audience, which you brought up earlier, it was fascinating to hear all of that. My joy is in the process. Right. And once the curtain goes up on opening night, I'm much less See, interested. I think people need to enjoy the process. Absolutely. They, they just want the payday. They want the result, but uh-huh. they don't focus on the effort. 
They just want the result. And you talk about that, uh, like a happy accident. Right. I remember I interviewed right. uh, Robert Labetta, who uh, is an icon in the beauty industry, incredible hairdresser, but he was also a photographer too. So he would photograph his work. And when the product line came out with a makeup line and he was trying to photograph the, the lipstick and, and why it was so luxurious. And so he's photographing the model and he's putting more and more whatever the liquid was to create the, the right, look right, in the right, photo. right. right. The liquid on the lips, all of a sudden, there was so much liquid that it started to drip. And so it was just like this big, long drip. And and he captured that. And that was the photo that they used to market the lip line. That that the lip was so luxurious that the product was just so amazing. But it was the accident. He well, said think, it was I, the accident. But he, but he, it's not like he meant to do that. Right. And who knows how many other tries he had or other things that he had planned in his mind of this is exactly how it's going to work out. But it, it wasn't. Well, I it think you just accident. articulated again this difference between decision and discovery. Because we sit down and decide this is what it should be and this is going to work. And then we discover what really does work. I think when Volkswagen first came into the country, it was this little beetle bug car that was ugly and it was made fun of, um, all that kind of stuff. And and the wonderful writers at Doyle Dane Burnback said they pictured the space shuttle and it was, I'm sorry, the lunar module was landing on the moon and that was the picture. And the caption was, it's ugly, but it gets you there. <laughs> Volkswagen. And again, they discovered that ugliness was a benefit if practicalness and it's could justify low price, get you from A to B, let's go. And Volkswagen built a whole personality around that sort of it gets you there from A to B. And, you know, so I think everything is individual. And but I will say you hit on the big word. You have to be authentic. In this day and age, if you try to pretend or think you can get over on the American public, it's not going to work. I find it kind of interesting or, or cool that you uh, on Saturdays are going to elementary schools to what? Because <laughs> that was one of the questions that I wanted to ask you was, you know, where, where are you finding your inspiration and your mentors? I mean, you can name some pretty uh, famous people that you've had the chance to work with. And others that you've never met them, but you still study them. I do. So, I do. so where do, where are you finding your your inspiration? I think it's it's where do you connect, and it can be absolutely anywhere. Just before this interview, I went to a Starbucks over here, and you wanted to make sure I got here early enough, found where we were, and all this stuff. And I'm over here talking to a gentleman. And I said, "Well, so what do you do?" And he said, "I create the Christmas and holiday designs." For theme parks. And I said, you mean like Disneyland? And he named like five others plus Disneyland. I said, holy mackerel, talk to me. Tell me, what is that like? And I just got so excited listening to him. So I guess I'm a fan wherever I go on the airplanes, etc. But what happens with me is whatever that information is, whether it's from a child, a song, a commercial or a person, it filters into my own consciousness in a way that I connect and say, that's magic. That works. I've got to build on that. And it can come from anywhere. Well, it's, ch- it's childlike. Yes. Children are naturally curious. Yeah. Then yeah. we lose that curiosity, which that's I believe true. in many ways is also when we lose our 
our passion. We lose our connectedness. We lose our desire to learn and grow. We, we're know-it-alls. I know 20-year-olds who are know-it-alls. I I've know, heard, I've I know heard. 80-year-olds who still have that curiosity, oh, yeah. that, which oh, is yeah. so oh, charming. Yeah, it's yeah, charming yeah. and attractive. And I bet that guy at Starbucks today was thrilled that you were so excited about yeah, yeah. what he does. No, he was. And and he just sold his company. He's got millions of dollars and he's a happy camper. But, you know, I think connecting with other people in ways that touch their magic as well, because we should all care about one another. The political dysfunction and friction that is in our society today is very painful mm-hmm. because I think at times we need to celebrate our differences. Mm-hmm. And not be afraid of them and not not just create this hateful atmosphere around our differences. So when I'm around different people, I kind of enjoy it because I'm curious. I mean, I'm learning things that I'm not familiar with. And I will ask a lot of questions. I find your friend Larry King. I sat with him and Sidney Sheldon, a great writer one time at a charity event. And I, I, you know, what do you say to Larry King? I mean, you know, so I said to him, what makes you different from everybody else? And he said, I'm more curious than everybody oh, wow. else. Yeah. And I think and you're on this. He's interviewed. That's right. And, and people wanted to be interviewed by him because they knew he was curious. He, and would, he, he would ask them the questions. And he said to me, he was always prepared for his interview. He always had his cards in front of him. And he never got past usually the second prepared mm. question. Mm. Because once someone gave an answer, he went with them. Mm. And he went with his curiosity. So in I getting, was called once the Larry King of the beauty industry. And yeah. Larry read that and called me and said, you need to come <laughs> over so I can teach you how to be Larry King. And that's exactly what he said to me. He said, uh, he said, prepare for your interview. Look at me right, right now. I'm right. prepared for this interview. Right. But look at how many notes I've been taking since you've been talking. Because you, you'll say a word and I'll write that word down. Right. right. So that, and that's what Larry taught me. He's like, ask a question, but don't assume that the answer they gave you is the only answer that they have. And that one answer, there are four or five words or other topics within that one answer that you could build upon. Well, you mentioned this. Well, take me there now. Right. And and you said you made a reference to this person. How did you meet that person? And meaning there's all kinds of different places that you can go. Which just Well, I'll give an example. Answer. This weekend or last weekend, Aladdin came out, the movie. And I went and saw it. And um, I love the song. It's a whole new world. Um, I've heard it many, many times. But... I went home the other morning and I said, I just want to hear 14 or 15 different people sing It's a Whole New World. And I listened to them and I listened to them and I listened to them. And about the 12th time someone else sang it, something hit me. And I'm going to reveal something to you. Go back to the Robots musical. All of a sudden I discovered on my own at 4.30 or 5 in the morning, we're, we're fellow early risers. If we can figure out this connection between man and machine of the future, robotics, if we can figure out how to be compatible with what robots bring to the table and what we bring to the table, it's a whole new world. And I called the writer at 7 a.m. in the morning and got him out of bed. <laughs> Wait, the writer of that song? No, the writer of the show, Robots, that I'm oh, working okay. on. Got, got it, got and it. he said, you got to listen to It's a Whole New World and think of this when you listen to it. I said, now we're going to go out and have another composer, another lyric and everything. But we have introduced mankind to a whole new world if we get this right. And that's the purpose of the musical is to say there is a whole new world if we can figure this Rather out. Rather than fear it. 
That's right. And he got so excited. So, you know, to your question, let's go back to your question. Where do you get your inspiration? It comes from everywhere. You know, be alert, but you'll know in your heart the magic when you hear okay, it. I have a couple of questions then about that, because uh, it's so easy to be a critic. And I think when you're being a critic, you're not really curious. You don't really care what people have to say or what they've been through. And I think that you could have left Aladdin thinking, oh, that was mm. sucked here. And who, who, I can't remember who it was, the mentor of mine. Maybe it was Marianne Williamson, you know, when somebody saw a Broadway show. And what'd you think? Oh, it was this. I didn't like that. And she's like, well, you know, when you produce your Broadway show, <laughs> man, we're such critics. And I just, it's just, I think that that's unattractive. And I, and I think that that does kill curiosity. Well, so. there's two things I'd like to respond to that. One I often think the person that's the critic is trying to get attention. And somewhere in their childhood or area, the way they get attention is by being annoying. The way they get attention is pointing out something nobody else saw, some flaw. Uh, I'm a warrior basketball fan because I live in Northern California. And I've sat with people watching the warrior games who start criticizing Steph Curry or KD or the coach or this or that. I'm good. This is the greatest basketball team in the last five years and maybe in the history of the franchise. Why are you criticizing them? I mean, you have the right to, but what is it about their tremendous competitive play that on this particular night you feel is worthy of your loud criticism? So I usually feel that it's someone inexperienced at what they're criticizing. You know, I think a lot of critics in the entertainment business wish they were up there. Mm. I really do. <laughs> and they're not up there. I used to be an official in the NCAA basketball world. And I hated officiating with someone that wasn't a former player because they had it in for players. They would throw technical fouls and short officials were the worst because they were resentful that the other guys were six foot seven, you know. Um, so I think <laughs> I, I really believe that if you're inexperienced and you haven't been through the drill, you have less appreciation and you throw these bombs out, critical bombs, not knowing how hurtful they are or it's just because I have the right to and the power of the pen. You or know? I can stand behind I can hide behind my yeah. social media handle. Nobody really knows who I am. Right, right. And so I just think, remember that most of the people on social media are the extremists. They really are. And there's a lot of us that just, you know, have to, you have to learn to dismiss because I'm going to say it again. Don't let them define you. Your people around you, your activity day to day defines you. Can, can you tell that I learned a lot from my daughter because I keep on quoting her? Well, she's amazing. <laughs> well, she said the other day because she was talking about some little girls that were saying things about her. And she what she said to me was she said, just because they're saying it, daddy, doesn't mean that it's true. There you like, go. She got it. Wow. But I'd like a T-shirt that says that just because you're saying these things doesn't mean they're true. Yeah. I mean, I, I just I have so gotten used to, I'm single and I, so I don't have a lot of, you know, a relationship or a family or things that I need to pay attention to. So I pay attention to these things we're, we're talking about today. I mean, my career is my lover. My profession is, is where I get turned on, you know? And so that makes me a little different than others in that I have more freedom, but I have to tell you when I do get turned on, when I do feel I've discovered the magic, 
I really go for it. And I, I, no one can tell me not to wish upon that star at that moment. You know, we're going to a journey. And one of the things I'd like to say is when you really believe in something, getting from the launch pad into the next orbit is the toughest because there's so much resistance to what you're trying to accomplish. Your mother may resist. Your finances may resist. All these resistors. And then finally you get to that orbit. And it's so much nicer. Isn't it, isn't it true when it's pouring down, raining, and you get in an airport, and you take off, and 10 minutes later, you're above the clouds. Right. And it's just beautiful. Well, I can tell you, some people never get above the clouds with their ideas or with their branding, or with whatever. And they just sit there and get so frustrated because they stay in the fog. And I I think, one, you've got to be present. You've got to be clear-headed. You've got to be rested. You've got to care if you're really going to be a leader. Because I think paying attention is the middle name of Wynn Claybaugh. You pay attention to details. You pay attention to who is, you know, operating properly, you pay attention to execution. And those who have that leadership skill know where to pay attention. You know, what What I don't like is someone that pays attention to all the weeds and the minutia and drives me nuts with things that aren't important to me, but they want to get noticed. Did you know, Paul, that ba 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 I said, no, I didn't know and I didn't care, but why are you telling me this? And they can't answer that question. So how much of this comes naturally to you? How much of this do you still have to remind yourself of? I mean, you, you told the story of coming out as a child in your raincoat, <laughs> you know, so you, you, you had the imagination and the, yeah. and the curiosity way back then. Well, can I steal a little thought from Tim's story? He says, as children, we have a shout and then you get older and you lose your shout. And I, I think that's a very precious description of when you're young, you have this unabashed authenticity. I'm a lion. Tomorrow, I, I would get a peach lug box from the backyard. I'd sit it down and pretend I was playing a piano, you know. And so that that imagination that was in me, there were other things that are in you and you and you out there that as a child, we're already there. And I think that little quiet voice is in you. And I think there's some people that believe that God places in you, even as a child, that mission, that journey that you're supposed to be on. And then you start discovering these breadcrumbs that are, as I say, leading to a bakery. It's your bakery. And I think every one of us have an initiative, a shout, a talent, a gift, a passion that we need to find and follow. And if you don't, you're probably miserable because you're not in a situation that's feeding what it is you were meant to be and become. And so I do believe it's in every one of it. And I think, you know, I'd like to suggest to many who have kind of dismissed this to reboot, take two steps back. Let's revisit. That's a great definition. That shout that you once had, what you cared about. I'm lucky to see that on occasion because we signing up for my school, I'll get second and third career people where what they originally did in their twenties was not what they wanted to do. It was what was expected of them. They pursued something that was going to pay the bills or it was going to make mom and dad happy, or it was going to make them a responsible human being, but it really wasn't their shout. It wasn't their passion. 
And now they're coming back to say, well, my kids are gone. I've hated my life from nine to five for the last five years or 30 years. And now I get to finally pursue what I love to do. But the ultimate end of, let me add to your sentence and build on it a little bit. Finding the passion and then finding out how I can use the skills I've learned in life to contribute and insert my understanding of this passion in other people's lives is really the there, story. There you go. Both personally and commercially. Right. Because, you know, for instance, I want to make money in show business, but I really am concerned about people that are afraid of robots and afraid of that. So, I mean, I want to contribute to that. I want to contribute to global warming with a musical. I'm working on a musical about the story of John Muir. And it's really how he convinced Teddy Roosevelt to, to isolate the national parks and make them part of what is preserved. So in my case, it's my skills in showbiz and entertainment and musicals that I'm going to exercise my passion. But in doing so, hopefully I'm going to affect other people's lives and have an impact. See, that's the message. It has to, whatever we're doing, it has to, has to be in service of others. Yeah. It has to be contributing. Right. Because we're all consuming. Yeah. We consume air. We consume water. We consume trees. We consume energy. We consume all kinds of things. We and we're all also different. turn around and contribute. And I think rather than considering being different as something weird, it means you're, you're an original. And, you know, find that originality in you because you're so special if you're finding that original shout. I love that term. I just think it's a great term because you just want to shout out who you are. You know, let's get in and get into lifestyles and gay people and transgender people and soldiers and whoever you want to become, you know, shout it out because that's who you are. And as Americans, hopefully we embrace the right to shout. And yet I think today the cable news networks, et cetera, are trying to intimidate the shout. And then one of the things that hurts me the most is we have professional shouters now too. They've got little scripts and they've got a little this and they're polished and they come on screaming their little points. They're not authentic. They're pretend, you know, but when you meet, and I know you've got some fantastic people in your life that I've met who are authentic. You know, what is that young man's name that's into purifying water? Seth Maxwell. Oh, Seth Maxwell. He is awesome, you know, and and Eden Sassoon and those that are around him, they care so much about that and they have such energy. So I, I think once you find your shout, you find inspiration and energy to go out and shout, 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 shout. But be prepared for the resistors. Be prepared for those that are going to try to quieten your shout and giving you all the reasons you shouldn't be shouting. This is amazing. Do you know how long we've been going? <laughs> a very long time. Well, you can edit it down. Well, what a, how long I, is this supposed it. to be? Ten minutes? Well, <laughs> five days. So just sit back, everybody, and be prepared to listen. You know, you, you talk about, to, to wrap this up, you talk about that what you believe matters. And I don't know, maybe you incorporate that into a final message for our listeners, because I love that. What you believe matters. I think it matters because I believe what we believe was put in us by God. And therefore, God chose your vessel, your body, and your surroundings to care about something. 
that matters to you. So whatever that shout, that message, that topic is, is perfectly packaged in you. And I don't think God intended you to fail. And he didn't intend for that topic to fail. So he put it in you and he's putting surroundings around you. He's putting you listening to this podcast to re-inspire and reboot whatever needs to get your passion back on track because it matters. Well, I will add nothing to that. (laughs) Thanks, Paul. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. So much fun. Oh, I guess I say this on rare occasions that I wish Masters was video so that people could see. I mean, if they could just watch you and how (laughs) how animated you are. And I love it. It's a pleasure to sit across from you. Oh, thank you very much. Well, listen to all of you out there. uh, Keep listening. There's a lot of people that can share a lot of things that matter. 